Hello, my name is David Martinez. I'm here today with Neil Cantrell, who's lived and worked in Peru for nine years. And today we're going to talk about the current unrest in Peru. So let's talk a little bit about what's happening in, in Peru right now. There's been some news stories coming out of Peru and also Ecuador as well. But maybe we can start with with Peru. We've heard about uh, several presidents in the past six or seven years. Uh, certainly last year was was quite uh, <laughs> eventful. We had actually a few programs. Um, we had a juniors abroad trip that had to be canceled and rerouted because of what was happening in, in Peru. What's your take on, on what's going on in Peru? Yeah, I think, um, well, first of all, I had the privilege, the great privilege of living uh, in Peru, in three different regions of Peru um, over the course of nine years. So had the chance of living in southern Peru and Arequipa, which is known as uh, Lima's, or Peru's second city, um, with a couple million people, I believe. And then we lived in the Amazon jungle in Pucallpa um, when we worked in relief uh, for around 2006, 2008. You say we, I imagine your family. Is that what you're yes, saying? my wife and I. Oh, okay. um, and my wife actually gave birth to two of our boys down in Peru, in Lima. Oh, so you have Peruvians in your house. <laughs> yeah, they both have dual passports. And uh, yeah, it's a pretty fun thing for them to bring up. Nice. Um, when How's they're talking their Spanish, to their I have to ask. Uh, their Spanish is a little bit rough <laughs> uh, because where they went to school, it was all English. And so their Spanish practice was limited to their Spanish classes. And so anyway, they understand a lot more than they let on. Let's mm -hmm. just say that. So anyway, um, back to your question. Um, when we lived in Lima for about six years, uh, one of the things that really characterized that is seeing political posters and faces all over the streets at all times. Um, anytime you got into a taxi, you could talk about politics. Uh, often if they found that I was from the United States, they would ask me, you know, oye, ¿qué tal la guerra? You know, what are your, what's your opinion on the war? Or, ¿qué tal Trump? ¿Qué es tu opinión en Trump? I'm like, well, I don't really want to get into all that right now. <laughs> Everybody wants to know your opinion on Trump. I, I've I experienced that in Europe as well. They all want to ask, how do yeah. you feel about Trump? What do you think about Trump? <laughs> yeah, so I, you know, a lot of times I would ask them questions, you know. It's like, what is your opinion on you know, President Kuczynski, or mm -hmm. what is your opinion on, you know, President Umala? Because there were times, um, well, backing up, over the past seven years, or over the past six years, I think there have been seven presidents. Seven presidents, wow. Uh, and for the people of Peru and everyone who lives there, expats alike, uh, it's difficult to know which, you know, which side you should lean to, who you should listen to, because a lot of different media outlets will tell you one thing or tell you another. This person's this, this person's that. And basically what I have found um, in talking with all sorts of different people, and I'm not a political science expert. I am not a, I'm actually a professor of elementary education <laughs> here at George Fox. So, um, but what I gathered is a lot of the time, the people of Peru don't feel that the president fully represents the whole country. So... If you have someone voted in, say, Ollanta Humala, um, who um, came from more humble beginnings, um, was grew up out, outside of Lima, uh, he, when he came to office... The what, year, what year is this? Uh, I'm going to say this is probably, yeah, early 2010, 2011, okay. I'm thinking. And he won that uh, 
he won the runoff between uh, between him and Keiko Fujimori. Yes, Alberto Fujimori's daughter, right? Yes. The well, great. we could talk about Fujimori. That 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 might be a I don't know an alley we don't want to. <laughs> yeah, Fujimori is a name that everyone has an opinion on in yes, Peru. Um, yes. Very very right wing uh, politician who who took great leaps and bounds to get rid of terrorism in the country, so to speak. Yeah, the shining path, right? Sendero Luminoso. The Sendero Luminoso. But it's, it's interesting about Alberto Fujimori is that he won the election in 1990, I want to say, or early 90s, against um, Mario Vargas Llosa, who mm-hmm. was a very prominent, well-known author, um, cultural critic, I suppose. Uh, and that was a that was a surprise, I think, for a lot of people, uh, Alberto Fujimori winning that election, right? We were going way back now into the, into yeah, the 90s. Yeah, I get a little fuzzier back then because I was probably... Uh, around 10 years old. But I do know that most people say that Fujimori came out of nowhere and no one expected him to gain the popularity that he did. And I even read a story um, that I think I mentioned to you earlier about how he sold off some land, bought a tractor and drove it around um, Provincia, they call it, the area outside of Lima, all throughout the country, and just tried to get to know the people, get to, you know, build relationships with all the people. And so he became known... um, for things such as that, and he was he was elected, and yeah, and he did to his credit, he did um, not fully eradicate, but he did get rid of the shining path uh, using some interesting methods. But he did deliver on the promise, I suppose, getting rid of that terrorist that, that terrorist sect, that Marxist um, sect, right? Yes, and what are called Fujimoristas nowadays would say that that was his greatest accomplishment. Yeah. The means by which um, he did that um, are always kind of in question because yeah. it's. Can you go around the law to do things that really are harm harming your people? That's just a, a question of of scruples. And, yeah. just a lot and of additionally, things. we can't we can't ignore what he did after that, which you know he there's a lot of corruption, and yeah. he ended up spending some time in jail and, and mm-hmm. so forth. He tried to flee the country, didn't he? Go to Japan with yeah. <laughs> millions of, of uh, Peruvian soles. <laughs> yes, um, that is true. And you know, you talk about corruption. I think. Most of the time when I would have conversations with um, Peruvian friends and uh, just, you know, taxistas, taxi drivers, you can, you can get a lot of information from taxi yeah, drivers. It's sure. one of my favorite sources of information. Anyhow, um, most people will agree that, oh, the government's corrupt. You know, you can't trust them. You know, you, you, you choose the lesser of two evils. Sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah. And so my, my response to that is... You know, it, it all depends on what the motivation of the government is. Is is the motivation of your government to improve the quality of life of its citizens? Or is it to bolster the economy? Is it to improve the education system? I mean, what is, you know, what are these... Why not all of the above? Why, do, why are you making me choose? Exactly. <laughs> and it seems that there's a lot of mistrust mm-hmm. amongst Peruvians. And I, you know, I ask, because even throughout all of our time in Peru... Um, you know, people warned us of, you know, robberies, thefts, kidnappings, and things like that. And people always discuss these things and be careful when you go here. You know, I'm, I'm grateful to God that we never had a bad experience. We were never robbed. We were never broken into. Um, our car was never stolen. There was no smash and grabs. We were never kidnapped and taken to an ATM. Um, although I knew a lot of people where that did happen. Hmm. All that to say, um, you know, the safety and the corruption, uh, it never threw us so much to where we didn't feel comfortable living there. Mm. In fact, a large portion of my heart is still down in Peru. Um, 
I love the language. I love the food. I love the people. Um, but, you know, that idea of corruption, um, after the shining path and after all the terrorism that wave swept through, uh, Peru changed. Yeah. Bars went up on all the windows. Um, there, there would end up being vigilantes or security guards everywhere. Everyone... This is uh, after the shiny path was. Yeah, was no, it was. No it was kind of during that time okay. when, um, you know, <laughs> people were being killed because they were thought to have been associated with the shining path. Right. Whether or not it was verified. Right. And so that kind of gets back to the Fujimori. So, when it comes to political political representation, uh, the the country of Peru seems very divided in their views of of their leader. And I think about the United States and, you know, you basically are looking at the Republican versus the Democrat. And in Peru, it didn't seem like there were two clear parties that you would go with. There were just a lot of parties that would have their own agendas and new parties would surge up and, um, yeah, there are more parties and also ones that are created or ones that kind of go away, but then there's kind of a new wave uh, you, you alluded to this earlier when you talked about the different regions in Peru. Is that part of the problem as well, that you have you have Lima as kind of a stronghold, what would you say, of, of more kind of right-wing tendencies? And then you have the provincias, which you brought up as well. Is that is that fair to us? Is that too simplistic, maybe? Um, I guess it depends on who you talk to. If you talk to someone who lives outside of Lima, uh, I think they have a very good understanding of what what current politics are doing for them in their region. If you talk to someone in Lima, it's hard. And I don't want to just make assumptions, but when you live in Lima, your world is Lima. Sure. And that's why, you know, you talk to someone, there's Lima, and then there's, like you said, Provincia. Provincia is basically anywhere outside of Lima. So if you put that into perspective, you know, if you were to look at Washington, D.C., and then you were to say, oh, the, you know, the countryside. Yeah. It, it's essentially the same idea. So I had to wrap my head around, you know, Lima being this, you know, the, the beating heart, as they say, of the country, but it doesn't necessarily represent the country. Okay. So they say Peru has three regions, Costa, Selva, and Sierra. So okay. coast, jungle, and mountain. But everyone says there's a fourth region, Lima, <laughs> which is on the coast. Um, but its own thing. It kind of functions yeah. separately. Yeah. yeah. And Lima is a beautiful city, rich history, um, amazing food, amazing culture. Yeah. Um, but it's increasing in popularity with the food. I, I read recently that Lima is competing with Paris as like the food capital of the world. And Peruvian food is, is incredible and spectacular. It's yeah. Delicious. I, I heard that two Peruvian restaurants are in the top five culinary yeah. destinations of the world right now for gastro tourism, as they call it. <laughs> so, yeah, and then just trying to follow up, you know, in your comment about, um, you know, that idea of of Lima versus the rest. I think when you look at Peruvian politics, and again, I'm I'm not the expert on this, but what I've seen is the push and pull is always with representation. Sure. So the most recent um, incidents that have happened within Peru um, would have been when Pedro Pablo Kuczynski was elected. PPK, right? PPK. <laughs> PPK. So you see that all over the place. We saw PPK stickers everywhere. And the man uh, was born in Peru to German parents and educated in English. 
uh, in the United States, right? He was educated. Here. Yeah, and he, I think, spent a lot of time of his life living in Wisconsin. Okay. So he's so, got a Midwestern accent. <laughs> yeah, he does. And he seemed like a really, you know, nice guy. He really wanted to help fix the economy. I believe he he worked in finance a lot of his life. And his vote came from uh, the people of Lima. And so pretty much everyone outside thought this man doesn't really represent us. Sure. He doesn't have, you know, he's, and some would even go as far to say he's not really Peruvian. Mm -hmm. So aside from all that, there was a corruption scandal in which he was receiving bribe money and his his office um, for from what was called the Odebrecht scandal. Yes. It's a construction company. Uh, and so he was investigated and he was impeached. Um, and then, interestingly, the president at the time, Rafael Correa, in Ecuador. Yes, I was going to ask. <laughs> he, was, he was involved with that as well, He right? was also involved. Yes. And so it became this kind of a scandal that, spread across borders, um, you know, which wasn't good for their economy at all. Sure. Um, however, after PPK, there came, um, I believe it was Vizcarra. And Vizcarra was the vice president. That happened during COVID. It was a big, I won't get into all of the, <laughs> the things that happened in Peru during the pandemic. Okay, um, but then you have Pedro Castillo after that. Yeah, so then it was Manuel Merino. Okay, we have one more. Before. Manuel Merino didn't last very long. I think it was a series of months. Okay. And then it was Pedro Castillo. Okay, that's that's what I want to talk about because Pedro Castillo, he was also, I guess, similar to maybe Fujimori where he's humble beginnings. He was a teacher, I believe. Similar to right? Umala. To Umala, okay. Yeah. So he, uh, yeah, he's a high school teacher, right? Is that is that right? Yeah, he was an educator. Educator. Grew up. But humble beginnings, right? Working class. Yep. Yeah. And didn't have any experience in, in uh, politics and somehow becomes president in 2021, 2022? Uh, I believe 2021. 2021. Okay. So what happens? What happens with, with Pedro Castillo? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> I think um, when Castillo was elected, so he was from a region outside of Cajamarca, and Cajamarca is a um, beautiful, beautiful city where some of the most amazing cheeses and milks and dairy products come from. Um, he became known for um, being a voice as far as activism for teachers and education and things like that. Especially during the pandemic. He was, he was appalled yes. at the lack of opportunities and lack of support. Mm -hmm. So during that time, coming off of Vizcarra, who put really hard clamps on education, on travel, and everything, um, yeah, during that whole uh, time of pandemic, people were interested in getting education back in, into a place of perspective. And so he received, and again, he was going against Keiko Fujimori. Yeah. If you'll notice, this is about the third time that she's been in the final running. And so... He traveled all around the country um, with his big hat, which he became known for, yeah, which yeah. I think is an amazing hat. Um, <laughs> Spectacular. And yes. he uh, really be he grew a lot of, um, he, he grew in popularity amongst the people yeah. outside of Lima, received that vote. It was a shock to everyone because he had no political experience. His political party had no experience. His, his, um, the group that was with him in leadership weren't prepared to lead. And what ended up happening is everyone ended up seeing that. Right. In fact, his own government blocked him from traveling overseas to speak at any kind of engagements 
because they have the power to hold, they basically dictate where the president can go and travel. Okay. Why did they do this? They didn't want him talking at these events, speaking at these events. Are they, were they afraid of what he was going to say or how he was going to say it? They were nervous of how he would represent their country because of his lack of understanding of politics, of economy, um, economic issues. And so over the course of, uh, I don't know, several months to a year, it was deemed that the Congress was deeming him morally unfit to lead. Okay. And I think this was brought on by the majority leader who was Keiko Fujimori. Okay. So he was going to be impeached for um, being morally unfit to lead, not able, not capable. And so his reaction to this was, I'm going to flee. I'm going to dissolve Congress. I'm going to impose rule by decree, and I'm going to rewrite the Constitution. Yes, this is the fateful day. He's on his way to Mexico, I think they were saying, or on the uh, Mexican he embassy. He was on his right? way to the Mexican embassy. And his own guard arrests him. <laughs> and he was detained in the street. And his car was detained and he wasn't allowed to go. Um, I remember I was in Indonesia when all this was happening and I was following it. And it was just, it was amazing how things turned so quickly. Yeah, yeah. Um, So all that to say, there's been a lot of movement um, from my perspective as an expatriate. uh, Trying to understand it has been challenging. Um, But basically I see it as a matter of representation. Sure. Sure. So now who's who's the president now? It was his vice president, right? Yeah, Dino Boluarte. And so, yeah, okay, so this is what I wanted to ask you because the stories that, and that did make the news to be, to be fair, but it was, I think it was one day or two days. We didn't really talk about it a whole lot here in the United States. You know, as far as the media is concerned, I'm not going to be the one saying, we should talk about this more often, right? right. People, they're going to follow whatever stories they want to follow. And you can find um, articles written about it, but this was, it was a big deal when this happened. And the stories that we heard now have to do with the unrest. You had 48 people or so dying, mm-hmm. another 12 at a, at a protest. You had a police officer who also died. These are the stories that we hear. And, and then we kind of attribute that to political unrest, which then leads me to within my role, Oh, be careful when you travel to Peru. You shouldn't travel to Peru because it's dangerous. And you talked about this earlier, the fear of getting kidnapped. This is something, a conversation I have so many times over and over with parents and with students and anybody who wants to travel. How do we, how do we respond to these stories? Uh, you know, you, you lived in Peru for several years. You had friends, as you mentioned, friends who had been kidnapped or you know, bad things that happened to them. Uh, should we not travel to Peru? Am I wrong? <laughs> I love Peru. It's one of my favorite countries, my favorite trips that I took. Um, am I wrong to think that we should travel, encourage people to travel to Peru? No. I say if you can book a trip to Peru, do it. But Be- people are dying on the street, and there's protests, and and cars being burnt, and yeah, it's, it's so true. forth. It's true. Um, those things aren't happening in places where... Uh, travelers would go. For example, if you if you travel to Peru, you will probably want to enroll into the the embassy's step program. Step program yeah. And that way they can give you alerts about what's going on. They'll always give you alerts about demonstrations, avoid these certain areas. Um, I can't tell you how many demonstrations and bloqueos and paros and huelgas I've been involved in. So those are like strikes, road blockages, where people are, you know, seemingly you know, up in arms about something. I mean, 
I remember walking down during this, uh, we were living in Pucalpa, walking down the street during this paro, and it was because of a, like a lumber, a lumber strike where the madereros were against something that was happening. Madereros basically like a, like a lumberjack or people who harvest lumber. There were burning tires in the streets. There were um, tacks thrown all over the road. And I was walking around and I had several people, you know, kind of walk by me and go like this, you know? And I was like, what does that mean? You're, you're well, like, I was wondering, I was like, pointing at your eye. And I was and, like, what does that mean? I was like, does that mean like I'm next or, yeah. but basically it meant, you know, keep an eye out and just keep your wits about you. Okay. Because they saw that I was not from around there. And so we were just kind of looking around and people were, you know, throwing things and hearing car alarms and we, we figured we should probably get back. Um, but they weren't upset at me. They weren't after, you know, a, someone who was there, you know, just seeing what was going on. Now, I didn't want to get close to where all the action was and try to participate and form and, you know, form a side and share <laughs> any... Choose a side. Or yeah. And yeah. I would say the same thing for people traveling to Peru. I mean, I have friends there right now living and working just enjoying the beauty that peru offers yes there's unrest but there's unrest in the united states there's unrest in hmm. certain portions of our big cities there's unrest in downtown portland i mean right you have to be careful where you go and i would say if you travel to a place like peru or ecuador where there's been increasing violence as well um just be smart read up find the places find the places that you know you want to go and just trust that, you know, it's it's still a beautiful place to visit despite the bad news you hear in the media. Right. Because you're not going to hear about the good stuff. Right. And understand that the media uh, is going to focus on stories that are going to um, pique people's interest. And and as we all know, those what's going to pique people's interest is uh, these sort of extreme cases, right? These, these um, not, I don't know what the word is, these extreme situations, right? Yeah. And on, on that, I had friends in Indonesia. This is when my, cause I, all, we also lived in Indonesia for two years prior to coming to George Fox. They had traveled to the United States pretty frequently. Um, they had, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, financial means, but they were afraid to travel back and send their kids to university because they were afraid they were going to be shot at school. Yeah. Because that's the kind of information that's being shared about the United States political situation. You know, in America, they can't control this. They can't control that. And I said, go there. You're, you're going to be okay to go there. Yes, you're hearing these stories. But the United States, you know, we have problems like every other country. But it's, right. not, it's not a place where you can go and be in fear of your life as you go to school. Right. Yeah, and that's the similar recommendation advice that I give to people as they, as they consider... Uh, these stories that they hear around the world and, and and Peru specifically, if we can go back to Peru, because again, these are the stories we, again, we canceled a trip to Peru. We were wondering if we should send students to study abroad there and so mm -hmm. forth. Um, what, what should be my response? I'm a Christian in the United States uh, and I'm li listening to these stories. Is it, is it too simplistic to think from my end, oh, that's a political that's political unrest in in Peru associated with kind of Marxist leaning or sort of, so, or, you know, there's like you have the socialist president and you have the right wing president. Um, what should be my what should be my response to that? I would say um, just a response of getting as much information as you can and praying for peace and understanding, because, you know, I would say 
The people of Peru have so much passion. They have so much passion for freedom. They have passion for enterprise. They have passion for the richness of the, the resources that the country has. And I think when you talk about, you know, socialism and capitalism and presidents that kind of go back and forth, I really think that, you know, as Christians, we should pray for a mutual understanding of what is going to be the factor that's going to help that unrest reach a place of, I won't say peace, because peace is not something that we say even it. have. You can say it. Peace. <laughs> let's go for it. <laughs> Give peace, peace a chance. World <laughs> Give peace. Give peace a chance. <laughs> uh, and I, I just, I, I, my prayer, like as a Christian, my hope is that there would not be that divide against the haves and the have-nots sure. or Lima versus the outside, because I think everyone that lives in Peru is a representation of who a Peruvian is. Yeah enterprising, intelligent, hardworking, um, creative, beautiful. And I want them to be able to see that. Yeah, it's interesting. My conversations often land on in this conversation. Uh, and again, generally speaking, not everybody, right? But there is this kind of fear of socialism or communism or a lot of, a lot of times those two terms are conflated. They mean the same thing for a lot of Americans or Marxism as well. Let's put yeah. them all in, the same, all in the same category, the same boat. And I, I always recommend, you know, trying to see things from a different perspective, from a different lens. You know, it's true. McCarthyism here in the United States did the Red Scare and so forth. So we're afraid of these programs that often in, in these other countries are, are just contextually different. Right. And so I, I always encourage people to see things a little bit differently. I'm, I'm not asking you to convert to socialism, whatever that might mean, or to advocate for communism and so forth. But. I think we often we do have this this strong reaction to anything that is remotely socialist. Um, when many of the programs in the United States, you could think of let's, let's talk about the libraries, right? The library system. If we tried to, if the library system didn't exist in the United States, and we tried to implement it now, it would be shut down immediately. That's socialist, right? And so, I think maybe getting out of our our strict definitions might help with our with our sense of perspective as well. And you know, and speaking of the of politicians, I was I, I meant to bring this up earlier because you were talking about these kind of corrupt politicians. We talked about Fujimori ending ending up in jail. And I'm always reminded of Terry Pratchett's quote. He's got this great line in one of his books where um, the converse, there's a conversation that says, "Yeah, we we um, we lock up our politicians um, as soon as they're elected." And the response, "Why? Why do you do that?" And the response is, well, it saves time, <laughs> which maybe is unfair to, to some politicians. But it just there, there does seem to be this, um, the extent of, of the corruption that just kind of finds its way into, into a lot of these presidents and, you know, with good presidents with good intentions. Mm -hmm. um, but, but yeah, I've, I've appreciated our conversation, our talk around um, the unrest in, in Peru, but also trying to get around it. Um, in terms of our response as Christians, but also just as as people who care about the well-being of other people and uh, and trying to understand, I like your call to get as much information as possible. Don't jump to, to conclusions or judgments and also to continue to travel to these places. I wonder, do you have any, do you recommend any books that we could, that we could throw out there? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, it sounds kind of cliche, but there's a book called Turn Right at Machu Picchu. And it's by Adams. And uh, Machu Picchu was discovered, right, by Hiram Bingham the third, um, the British explorer. Um, we all know that you know things like that aren't just discovered; they were 
well in use um, for the Inca Empire long before that. Sure. But this account by Adams gives kind of a, a funny and interesting recount of what that journey was like. And the beauty and the wonder and the interesting um, meetings and occasions that happened as Hiram Bingham and his explorer team went out from Cusco to find Machu Picchu. And it just gives a really interesting take on the beauty of Peru, the beauty of the culture, and how that whole exploration might have gone down. I, I'm going to recommend a book that may seem strange, although maybe not. It's a book by Mario Vargas Llosa called The Storyteller. And it's the story of a, of a, um, of, if I get the story right, it's been a while since I've read it, but I, I have my students read it because I, I enjoy the, the dialogue slash debate around indigenous um, identity in, in Peru. And uh, again, no more spoilers. You should pick it up and read it. Uh, again, right. maybe doesn't have a whole lot to do with the political unrest, but maybe can give some insight into the complexities around that. And it's, it's well written. It's a good book. You know, Mario Vargas Llosa, one of the more well-known, famous uh, authors from Peru. If you love him, then that's great. If you're not a big fan of his, you know, of his um, politics or political ideology, if you're not a big fan of that, that's fine. But yeah, the storyteller, that's going to be my, my uh, re recommendation. Me parece muy interesante. Lo buscaré en español. Okay, well, I think it's time to spin the globe. The idea here is I'm going to spin the globe, put your finger somewhere, wherever it lands. We'll see if we've been there. We'll talk about whatever we know about that country or region. Put your finger on there. Oman. Oman. Have you been to Oman? I have not been to Oman, but I know that the capital is Muscat. <laughs> okay, how do you know that the capital of Oman? Uh, I don't know how I know that. <laughs> Just a geography buff. Yeah, I love geography, and I actually have the privilege of helping co-lead a Juniors Abroad trip this coming May to the Middle East. We won't go to Oman, I believe. Actually, it, there are things to potential, but we're going to be going to Israel, Palestine, uh, Egypt, Jordan. and Jordan. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and maybe if we can make it over to Muscat, that might be good. Oh, you're you're gonna go rogue and, and add a different different <laughs> add uh, another destination. A different destination. I also have never been to Oman, but I when I worked in Taiwan, uh, one of my fellow teachers she got a job in Oman, and so mm. for a good six six to eight months, I was looking into Oman. I, I saw it as kind of a a dream destination to go spend a couple years, and it's also a part of the world, uh, you know, within the kind of broader imaginary. I have conversations with people frequently. This is my role. This is my job, and there's certain countries or regions that kind of that take over, you know, everybody's heard of Thailand. Everybody wants to go to Thailand. Uh, in my experience, everybody knows about, of course, Paris. You know, Paris has this mm -hmm. kind of imaginary within, you know, people think about what it what it is, it's romantic and so forth. Uh, but there are certain countries that are kind of off the, the people's radar. They don't really think about these, these places. And I think I would put Oman in that category as well. And uh, even though I've never been there, I really, I hope to go there one day. I, I love, you know, Yemen, Oman. It looks It'd be great to go. I think in that beautiful. region, maybe Qatar has, has taken over. Um, yeah, Doha. People talk about Doha, yeah. Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. Okay, well, great. It's, it's uh, I've enjoyed our conversation. I hope that we have... Uh, given our listeners something to think about in terms of Peruvian politics and uh, why they should still travel and, and enjoy the, the region, the food and so forth, and not be afraid of the unrest and at the same time uh, be in prayer for the people and, and uh, regions there. 
And as always, as we always say, it's, it's important to, to travel, see the world and be safe you know, most of the time. Thank you. This video podcast is a production of George Fox Digital. To find more material like this, you can subscribe to George Fox Talks on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Our team really appreciates your feedback in the form of likes, comments, and reviews, and we'd really love to hear what you think. To sign up for our weekly email list and to keep up to date with the latest episodes and publications, you can check us out on the web at georgefox.edu talks. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.